The following message is made available for you by Emanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more information, visit us online at www.emanuelmora.com. Well, good morning. And thanks, Pastor Dave, and thanks to Pastor Mike for inviting me. Uh, it is indeed a privilege to be able to address you from the Word of God. Uh, if you have your Bibles, take them out and turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Greetings from the saints at Kwamba. Uh, we give you uh, love of Christ that we share. So it is good to be here. Dave read part of the chapter. We're going to be going through the entire chapter um, so, he read most of it. Uh, I will be referencing pretty much every verse. We'll be jumping around a little bit, so if you follow along in your text, that will be helpful. So, let's pray before we begin. Father, we are indeed privileged to have your word and we are indeed privileged, most privileged, to have your Holy Spirit to help us to understand it. We pray that you would do so this morning through it being proclaimed, through it being preached. You are good, and you desire for your people to seek after you wholeheartedly, and so we ask that you would help us in this hour to do that. Send your spirit upon us, give us clear minds, soft hearts, and train us in righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So think on this question, who do you really know? Think about your, the people that you come in contact with. Who do you really no. God made people, he made you and I, with a need for relating to others. You might know people who isolate themselves from others, and uh, it does not go well for them. So we have a need for relating to each other. We have a need for someone other than ourselves relationships. From the beginning in the garden in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. God himself relates. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as Trinity. And we are made in God's image, and so we too have been made to relate. So who do you really know? Human relationships are vital to our living well, but they take a back seat to the relationship we can have with our Creator. God's Word is all about this relationship that we can have with Him. From the beginning, this God, who is beyond all our human comprehension, whom we cannot grasp fully or even in part, from the beginning, he has made himself known to us in ways that our puny understanding, that our puny little minds can 
grab onto and understand some of what God is like. So who do you really know? The Bible is the story of God choosing and calling a specific people to know him. That's the basis of the call, to know him. These specific people then, after he calls them, either embrace him or neglect the God who has revealed himself to them. Who do you really know? Do you really know God? Today, we're spending our time together in Isaiah 1. And we tend to think of the prophets as those who tell us what is going to happen somewhere down the road, what's going to happen in the future. And that's part of what God sent them to do. But the bigger part of what they've been sent to do, I would argue, is that prophets confront. Prophets confront those they prophesy to. Biblical scholar Jonathan Pennington, he's a Baptist, so he's a good guy. Biblical scholar Jonathan Pennington uh, talks about the prophetic call this way. He says, quote, The prophets proclaim that God's people are not flourishing. God's people are not flourishing and are on the path of destruction precisely because they do not know God rightly and intimately, unquote. So we're not flourishing because we don't know God rightly and intimately. Uh, other prophecy in the scripture, I'll just quote a couple of verses for you that kind of underscores this um, prophet's confrontation about not knowing God. Jeremiah 4.22 says, quote, For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil, but how to do good they know not. That was Jeremiah 4.22. Then in Hosea, Hosea 4.6, a famous verse, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. So those are just a couple of instances of God calling out his people through the prophets for their lack of knowledge, for their not attending to knowing him. So who do you really know? Do you really know God? The first verse of the chapter, as Dave read, identifies that it is a vision, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos. So it's from God. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah. There's the who, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And then we have when it happened in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So it's roughly 700 years before Christ comes on the scene, before the Messiah shows up. And this question that we're asking ourselves is completely relevant to Isaiah's vision that he sees here in chapter 1. Who do we really know? And do we really know God? The chapter begins with a blistering 
indictment in verses 2 and 3. Look there with me. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. The chapter, verse 3, is the center of this chapter. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. The rest of the chapter fleshes out what is meant by the statement, Israel does not know and my people do not understand. As we engage with the whole chapter, we're going to see three different kinds of knowers. So there's, there's three, three different... We're, we're kind of categorizing what's going on in the passage by showing that there are the anti-knowers, and every, every person is kind of on a spectrum. So there's the anti-knowers, there's the false knowers, and there's the true knower of God we'll see in this passage. So we see portrayals of these three different types of knowers. And as we look at those, let's continue to think about who do I really know and do I really know God? And try to see where, where, your, life, where your life fits on this, on this continuum. So you can probably think of people you know who are, who are anti-knowers, who get irritated when you talk about the things of God. But I would guess that for yourself, and I know for myself, that I am trying, I'm sure, I'm sure I don't have everything figured out. I'm sure I'm not the, I'm not the example, exhibit A of the true knower. I'm sure that I am moving from being a false knower to being a true knower. And I would think that most of you, or even all of you, might be kind of right there on this spectrum. So we're going to use Isaiah's vision to help us gain an accurate picture in our minds of these different types of knowers. And the, there's more in the chapter about anti-knowers than there is about false knowers and true knowers. So our first point's going to be a little bit longer, and then our second point will be a little more condensed, and then we see what we came to see at the end. But it is in the contrast between the anti-knower and the true knower that we really gain better understanding of our God, our God's holiness and how he desires to relate to us. So, first, the anti-knower. These are the people at the end, that the end of verse 2 is speaking about. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. These are the rebels. What is the anti-knower like? Look with me at verse 4. 
Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. What a damning verse. It begins sinful. They're lawbreakers, laden with iniquity. They're not, they're not sinners light. They're heavy into sin. Probably not even aware of how their sin has been dragging them down and weighing on them. They're perfectly unwilling to deny any of their problems are the result of the heaviness of their sin laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers. Uh, my dad wasn't perfect, and neither is my mom. Offspring of, we're all in this boat, offspring of evildoers, but it hints at those who are active and unashamed evildoers, not those who are repentant. Deal, they deal corruptly. They can't be trusted. They will swindle if given the opportunity. They have forsaken Yahweh, the verse goes on. They do not look to him as God. They've forsaken him and they've despised him, it goes on. They're not just passively forgetting about God. They despise. They actively spurn God. And they're utterly estranged. What did Christ come to do? He came to reconcile us to God. He came to break that estrangement that our sin made between us and God. The opposite of getting to know someone is estrangement. It's, it's enmity instead of openness. And then verse 5 continues with this theme of the anti-knower. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? Why? Why? The prophet asks. They've already begun to face some of the consequences of their rebellion in the second part of the verse. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. Why? And then verse, verse 5, the second part, verse 6 continues on with that, with that theme. Verse 6, from the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Verse 6, the head, the heart, the sole of the foot, the control centers of the person and the body are all negatively impacted by this by this sin, by the wound that this sin brings. There's no soundness in it. It says it is damaged by sin and no treatment is sought for it. Verses 7 and 8 continue the theme. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate, is overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. So not only has their sin made them bodily miserable, but because of their sin, God's provision for his people of land and cities are devastated. And they're not fulfilling their purpose, but instead they're decimated and they're desolate. They're not a, 
They're not a place of joy. They're a place of sorrow. So this vivid description in verses 4 through 8 is what characterized anti-knowers, those rebellious and hostile to God. And the fruit of this spurning, of them spurning God, of them desiring not to know God, is illustrated for us further down in the passage. So if you'd look down at verses 21 through 23, verses 21 through 23, how the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. So the faithful becomes a whore, the opposite. Justice and righteousness become murder. Verse 22. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. So the precious becomes polluted, becomes diluted by sin. Verse 23, your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. So first it talks about the princes being rebels and companions of thieves, and then everyone. So the leadership and then the general populace become entirely self-focused and greedy. Self-focused and greedy so that no one cares for the needy. So what will happen to the anti-knowers? Verse 24 begins to describe what will happen to the anti-knowers. God says, therefore, or therefore the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one, the piling up of names to show that this is, this is he with whom we have to deal. The Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. Relief and avenge, God talks about getting on those who have rebelled against him. Old Testament scholar Alec Machir sees this well. Let me give you a brief quote of what he says on this verse. Quote, the Lord's sovereignty and power are neither ornamental nor irrelevant. They're not just something to see, nor are they something that's inconsequential. Back to the quote. But a force to be reckoned with in the affairs of his people. This power is specifically a power of vengeance. The Lord will get relief and avenge himself. The former term, relief, with its root idea of comfort, points to soothing the hurt given to God. The latter, avenge, to the objective requital merited. In other words, God has made himself available to be known, and those who militate against knowing him, their time is limited. That's what this passage is saying. God will bring justice. Skip down to verse 28. It continues to describe what will happen to the anti-knowers. We're just about through 
looking at the anti-knowers. Verse 28, For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. What they have put their hope in, what they take their joy in, they will be ashamed of it. Uh, the rebels, the, the rebelliousness, rebels and sinners, it reminds of Romans 128. I'll, I'll quote it for you. Romans 128 says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Since they did not, this, this phrase, they did not see fit to acknowledge God, is, can also be translated literally, they did not approve of having God in their knowledge. They did not look on it as good to know God. So verse 29, continuing on. For they shall be ashamed... Oh, that was, that was verse... For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. We looked at that briefly already. Verse 30. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and a garden without water. The life will be slowly sucked out of them until they are dry for the burning. Verse 31. And the strong shall become timber, tinder, and his work a spark, and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. The strong, the wicked often seem to be doing well, don't they? They often seem to be strong. But the strong shall become a timber, a tinder, their work, whatever they have tried to build, whatever they've tried to make in rebellion, that will be taken away with none to quench, verse 31. Brings to mind Hebrews 12, 29, for our God is a consuming fire. So do you really know God? It's my sincere hope that none of you are anti-knowers, rebellious and hostile to God. Like I said, it's not a big stretch in our time to think of anti-knowers. They are numerous, and as an application, those anti-knowers that you know, pray for those people. Pray that God would soften their rebelliousness, their harshness towards the truth of Christ. Pray that he would take away their hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh that they would become true knowers of Jesus. So, now we move on to see the false knower. We've seen the anti-knower. Now we move on to see the false knower. And we, we begin with this theme, the passage in verse 10. Verse 10 is where we begin to see what the false knower is like. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Isaiah is equating his contemporaries with those who were judged severely for their wickedness, Sodom and Gomorrah. And also notice that he talks about rulers of Sodom and people of Gomorrah. So both 
the high and mighty and the regular folk are addressed. So this is, this, this is nationwide. Verse 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. I do not delight, he said. They bring offerings, but God is not pleased with these offerings. Verse 12. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? There's certainly a lot of activity. There's a lot of busyness going on in the temple. But not for the purpose that it should have been busy. Commentator E.J. Young says, quote, When men approach God with a heart devoid of faith, they count as obedience what God has not commanded and what consequently is vain, useless, and to no point. So this is adding to the commands of God, doing all of this stuff. And it is as sinister as taking away from them. We are to seek to do what God has commanded, no more and no less. It goes on, verse 14. Verse 14. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Talks about a burden. Worshiping God falsely is heavily wrong. Verse 15. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. The false knower's prayers are not considered because... They are still in their sin. They have not been cleansed. Their hands are not empty to receive the full, but, but they're full of guilt. So that's, that's the, the worst of the false knowers. So then, what does this false knowledge of God lead to? It brings the same fruit as anti-knowledge brings we saw in verse 21 through 23. I'll read those again. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. So, God will judge, but there is great hope for both for the false knower and for the anti-knower if, if the, the false knower and the anti-knower, if they repent. Verse 25 talks about that. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. So God is against all sin, but notice here in the latter part of the verse that he begins to purify that which is polluted. He says, I will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloys. So whatever is impure and cannot stand before him, he begins to talk about taking that away. And God is doing the action. 
and verse 26, and I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Finally, some good news, right? We have been uh, seeing the fruit of wickedness, and now God is saying, I will do this. I will restore. God is doing the action. Judges and counselors, those whose task it is to assist the people, to be there to help the people. Afterward, it talks about the culture will be restored. And verse 27 is, is good news. Verse 27, Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. Redeemed. This is, this is headed towards the true, true knower, true knowledge. So we've seen the anti-knower and we've seen the false knower. We were all once anti-knowers. My son, when he was about three, was in the nursery, and they were playing hymns, and the hymn Trust and Obey was playing. And he said, I don't want to. And the nursery worker said, what? And, and he said, trust and obey, I don't want to. <laughs> he was three. So we were all anti-knowers. And we've all have had false knowledge, and we all need to be moving to true knowledge. So the true knower, finally. Do I really know God? God is all about making things new, remaking that which has been ruined by sin that comes from the, the anti-knower and the false knower of him. Remember verse 27, Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. Those in her who repent, it says. Repentance, stopping willfully sinning, turning upward to the God who can change you. This is the beginning of the true knowing of God. We must turn from sin. Look at verse 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil. We must turn from sin. Verse 17, we must turn to God's ways. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Verse 17, Learn, it talks about. Come now, let us reason together. We must learn. We will not know the good until we know the one who is good. We must seek justice. God is just. When we seek him, we seek what is right. We must correct. Verse 26 talks, talked about God restoring. Verse 27 talks about God redeeming. So we too are to be alleviating the devastating effects of sin. <clears throat> <clears throat> Acts 
Actually, we're looking at verse 17 now. So learn to do good. We don't know how to do good. We need to learn to do good. Seek justice. We just talked about that. Correct oppression. God is the one who restores. God is the one who redeemed. So we too are to follow in his way. Bring justice to the fatherless. So we are to be bringers of justice. We are to be agents of help in this wicked world. Plead the widow's cause. Plead. We are to be lifting up the needy in prayer, as we talked about. Praying for those who are in rehab and and struggling with health issues. We plead the widow's cause. Verse 18. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Those who repent will be cleansed and changed. And cleansed so that we can pursue the life of change. Verses 19 and 20. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There will be blessing for those who stay the course of true knowledge. We will grow if we seek to know God truly, but there will be great harm for the rebellious. Verse 27, Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. That's a key verse as well. Only God is righteous. Only God can redeem. If you uh, have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 3. This brings to mind uh, this section, Romans 3, 23 and following. It underscores true knowledge and what it's all about. Romans 3, beginning at verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So there were those in Isaiah's time who were saved. Verse uh, verse 9 in Isaiah 1 talks about, if the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, right? Uh, it's talking about those, those few who were true knowers of God in the time of Isaiah. And Romans 3.25 says, uh, the second part of the verse, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Former sins are those before Jesus came on the scene. Those of Isaiah and those of the true knowers of God in his time. So there were these true knowers of God as we are to strive to be. Then we can be adopted 
into the family of God. We can be children of God. Listen to verse 2 coming back around as we close off this last part of the sermon. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up. God cares for his people. We can be, through repentance, children of God and becoming true knowers of God as we strive to be so. So do I really know God? Do you really know God? God has revealed himself. We have the word. He desires us. He desires us to become true knowers of him, true seekers and followers of him through Jesus Christ. He desires us to put aside, to repent of that anti-knowing, that rebellion and false knowledge, the, the religious, empty religion, and to become his child, to become the bride of Christ, to become the body of Christ. So here's your application. Ask God to give you ability to know him truly. Ask God to give you ability to know him truly. Seek to know him. And as he gives you ability, you will. He will reveal himself more and more to you in the word and in prayer. Be repentant. You are not... Um, the standard God is. We, are, we all stumble in many ways. Ask God to grow you in the actions of faith that were listed in verse 17. Learn to do good. Seek justice. So we're learning, we're seeking, correcting. We are bringing justice and we are pleading. We're pray, pray through that verse and ask God to help you be part of, part of that. And when you are serious and active in your faith, God will grow you in true knowledge of him. Let's pray.